Hey everyone, welcome back to The Essentials, the podcast giving you accessible information about art, science, and history through the lens of a health science major. I'm Maddie Flint, and I'm here to discuss the science and application of the English language today with my mom, Natasha Flint. And mom, it's great to have you join me today. Madeline, thank you for having me. It's so much fun being a part of your podcast. So um, tell me a little bit about what you majored in today and where your concentration was, and then we'll go from there. Well, um, first of all, let me set the stage here and um, let you know that since I was a little girl, since I first learned how to read, I was known as a bookworm. I, <laughs> I read for comfort, I read for pleasure, I read to learn and to become informed about a variety of topics. I just love to read. For me, reading is like breathing. I love the feel and smell of books. I love words. I am good at spelling and vocabulary. I love writing as well. And so um, when I was a senior in high school, I decided I was going to take two Englishes, English 12 and AP English. And I had the best year that year. And I knew that when I was going to start college, I would become a, a literature major. I just knew I would. And so um, I started out at a small Christian liberal arts college, uh, majoring in English literature. And I transferred from that college to SUNY Albany, where I continued my English major and I also minored in history with a concentration in World War II and the Holocaust. Wow, that's fantastic. See, I'm interested in the study of language and cognition from the biopsychological lens because I really like learning and analyzing the specific biosynthetic pathways that make things like speech possible. Whereas you kind of focused on the actual literature and literary analysis and English composition and stuff. And both of those things in conjunction will be really great for the discussion that we're gonna have in this podcast. So to start, I wanna talk about English's evolution into a lingua franca. And for those of you who have never heard that term, it is a language that is adopted as a common language between speakers whose native languages are different. Usually this is for communication and connection purposes. Like for example, maybe you'd need to have a common language so you can communicate with everybody at work in a place that's very high in linguistic diversity and that could be beneficial for networking or to give everybody equal opportunity in school or elsewhere. So I'll just ask this, do you think that we are seeing English turn into a lingua franca in America? Well, I think that there is going to be a shift um, in English as a lingua franca specifically because of the influx of migrants who are coming into our area here in the capital district. Now, I'm not going to turn this political and say whether or not it's right or wrong that we're getting these migrants coming into the area. We're sticking to um, the topic of language here. In fact, this morning on the news, I heard that there are over 50 languages that the migrants are speaking. It's not just Spanish. Yeah, and those 
children are going to need teachers and they're going to be taught English. And so they're going to be learning some variation of English that depends on whatever school they go to. And there's going to be dialect differences. And then they're going to go home and they have their home language, which is their vernacular. And they're going to wind up having a variation of Spanish being mixed with the new English that they're learning and maybe the phrases that they're picking up on the streets and that's going to differ because maybe they're in New York City, maybe they're in Texas, maybe they're in Miami. It it's going to differ wherever they are in the country. And so this combination of their home vernacular or their home language and then the English that they're learning here in America, that's going to cause a huge radiation of variants of the English language. And I think there are a lot of benefits to this, to English becoming a lingua franca, just because we're going to see a lot more people be able to communicate with each other regardless of their language background. In universities now, just the way that they teach, the standard is definitely a little bit more progressive, toward, like left-leaning progressive, and a lot of people don't give English the credit that it deserves as a unifying facet of communication just because it's been framed solely as the language of white colonizers. And I think what a lot of people don't remember about America is that its whole purpose of being founded was to be a haven for the freedom of religion, speech, press, and so on. It was always a cultural melting pot. Sometimes Americans, you know, they feel strongly about the increasing diversity, but in reality, America has always been home to anybody who wanted to find opportunity here. It's not all good, but it's also not all bad, and some amazing pieces of literature have come from the English language. So I'm just curious, what are some of the most influential and classic pieces of literature in the world of English lit that meant the most to you? I've read some incredible pieces of literature. Um, in my lifetime, books that I that are just classics. F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby, which Isabel is reading this year in, in her English literature class, her AP Lit class, I should say. There are books by the Bronte sisters, Wuthering Heights, that's Emily Bronte. You've got Jane Eyre, which was Charlotte Bronte, which was one of my favorite. I should actually get that book out of the library and read it again. It was so good. Well, I ought to create a reading list and upload it for everybody to see so they can curl up with a book. It's, it's almost fall anyway. It's that season of reading and coffee and slippers and pumpkin pie and all the other great things that come along with fall. But... This may be a hard question to answer because I'm sure that you'll have a few of these, but what was your favorite work to annotate and or read or study? Did you have a favorite? There are just so many, but I have to say in particular, I loved studying Shakespeare and I loved Othello with Desdemona and the Moor and Iago. It was just an incredible piece of literature. If you've never had a chance to read Othello, I, I encourage you to, to read it today. It was so good. William Shakespeare was so ahead of his time. That is an amazing choice. I've only heard all the good things about it. In my AP Lit class, we did read some Shakespeare, but I don't think I chose, I didn't choose Othello, but it was, yeah, I read Hamlet. 
Um, I was so frustrated at Hamlet through the entire book. He just would not do anything right. And I was just so upset. But I think I'm going to have to read Othello now because I'm, yeah. I'm feeling pretty motivated to do that. And just by listening to the way that you're talking about literature right there, if English can be used for high education and, and all the great things that literature can provide, as well as casual connective communication, a lot of people are saying that English is a threat to other languages, but I don't think that it is. I think that it serves its own purpose, as do all the other world languages. Do you have any ideas on that? No, not at all. I don't believe that English should be seen as a threat. If anything, it's a gateway to open the door to exploring all other languages. Yeah, 100%, actually, especially here in America, where so many people speak so many languages. We have a lot of diversity in ethnicity, in universities, in schools, in the workplace. And lately, English really is that main connective piece that allows everybody to be able to communicate with each other. And then maybe from there, they can learn about other cultures and everything. So English, I feel like it can be seen as a good thing even though a lot of people are saying the opposite. Sometimes people even discredit English as being complex at all, but since every language is complex in its own way, we know that English is too. Like Old English, for example, has become one of my many fascinations, and as we look at the phonological differences between Old English and Middle English and Modern English, we wouldn't even know that it was English if we heard nowadays somebody speaking the versions of Old English that were spoken from the 5th to the 11th century in what is now known as England. And it was Anglo-Saxon, actually, and it was like West Germanic, but we wouldn't even be able to understand them. I can remember my first year in college um, in one of my English literature classes learning the Canterbury Tales and reading those and having to memorize the first line of the Canterbury Tales. One that April with his shortest suta, the drought of March hath pierced to the ruta, and bathed every vein in switch liqueur, of which vertu engendered is the floor. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, that was amazingly accurate. I don't know how long ago it was that you had to memorize that. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure if that was the actual first line of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, but um, I know we memorized that and it stuck with me all of these years because I learned that back in 1989, 1990, and it stayed with me, Old English. So it has to have some kind of relevance and power behind it in order for me to be able to recall those words all these years later. Yeah, I agree. And it also may have something to do with the fact that phonologically, the muscle memory, when you say those things, maybe the placement and the area of articulation, it just stuck with you. Maybe it was fun to say. And all of these things combined have created something that you will never forget. So English can have many, many applications for widespread communication and networking, in education, in literature, in music. I personally don't see English being a lingua franca in America as a bad thing because, as you were saying before, it can serve as a gateway and it's the most commonly spoken language here in America. 
and I actually didn't know that we don't have a specified national language. I kind of thought that it was English, but that could also be just because I've been raised in a rural town. Everybody speaks English. I've never really been around a lot of linguistic diversity, but we don't have a specified national language here. And that is where a lot of the hatred towards English comes from, or maybe even hostility towards English, because since it's not defined as our standard, but it kind of just is the unspoken standard, a lot of people think that maybe it's a little bit discriminatory or oppressive because it has those those ties to colonization that if we were to make that our national language, it would say something negative about America. But we don't have to look at it that way. I just looking at it in a practical way, think that maybe it would be beneficial for English to become the national language just because the majority of people living in America speak it. And they may speak it in a variation, like we were talking about prior to this, like maybe they speak Spanish and that's their first language and their L2, which is their second language, is English, but they're still speaking it and it's helping them to be able to make more connections in America. Whereas if the lingua franca and the most standardized language that we had here in America was going to be something that was way less commonly spoken here instead of English to be the main spoken language, then that could seem counterproductive because why would we pick something that a very small percentage of people living in America speak to be the national language? Then I could see where there could be a little bit of backlash because it wouldn't be helping people out. It would cause probably mass confusion, if anything. Now we may ask like, why is it English and why is it not any other of the world languages? America was founded by Europeans. I know there were indigenous groups here before, but as the nation, its government was founded by Europeans and they spoke different dialects of English. Not all of them spoke the American English we all know today, but we also had a lot of Dutch families emigrating to North America and English and Dutch are both Germanic languages. So they were structurally similar. That could have played a part in English being more mainstream, but we also had people from Italy coming here, people from Spain coming here, people from all over. And I think that people are getting too caught up now in the slavery aspect of English colonizers specifically, even though virtually every group of people practiced slavery all over the globe for millennia, and nobody seems to cause the same ruckus over any other language. Like Spanish, for example. Spain had its run of colonial power too. At the height of the Spanish Empire's power, it controlled 35 colonies that spanned every continent on Earth except Australia and Antarctica. Yet English has been the only one with the bad reputation. So every civilization and every language has had its ups and downs, but I don't think that we should be ashamed to speak and to learn about English. It's rich in history, and English literature is timeless. There's a reason that schools implement reading classic literature in English classes every year. That is so true. Someone might ask, what can one do with an English degree? Well, there are a lot of things you can do. You could become a teacher. You could become a writer, a copywriter, freelance writer, an editor. You could go into journalism, magazines, newspapers, TV news. You could go into business management, tech, broadcasting, which is what I chose, library science, law, medicine, public relations, government. There are so many career choices that 
that one might take advantage of by studying the English language. And I think it's really beneficial to hang on to English and the study of it just because there is a lot that you can do with it. Like as you were mentioning, there are all of those jobs and then there's speech translators for people who are coming to America because we do have an influx in immigration. People need to learn English and a lot of the classics have actually fallen out of relevance, which makes me really, really sad because I studied Latin when I homeschooled and I studied Latin all the way through high school and I loved it and I love to learn about it and I love to learn about their culture. And a way to keep a culture alive is to study it and bring it back and have it in academia. And not very many students right now are interested in the classics. So a lot of universities are just dropping them. And I don't want to see that happen to English lit either. And as important as STEM is to the future, to America's future, English and English literature are just as important as well. Wow, and I, I think that's a powerful message, and I think that is a great place to conclude this episode with because I'm a STEM major, and I do recognize its importance. There's a lot of opportunity for it in the future, but just because one thing is currently trending in the job market does not mean we should drop everything else because that's all a part of American culture, and it's all valuable in its own way. And I just want to thank you for being here with me. I really enjoyed the discussion we were able to have about English. And I think I need to read Othello, definitely. So that's going to be on my bucket list for this fall. Mom, thank you for being on with me. Thank you, Madeline. It was a real pleasure being here with you. I hope that you guys all enjoyed this episode of The Essentials. And be sure to check out all the other great podcasters. My dad has the Pac-Man podcast also on the BMG Network. And I appreciate the listen.